The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. It's all over, Logan. You've had your time outside. Outside, Francis. And we're alive. It wasn't true about the air. Why, Logan? Why did you run? Was it because of her? I ran because I wanted to live. You betrayed everything we were brought up to believe in. It was all lies. No. It's the girl. She changed you into what you are. A traitor. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 1st, 2018. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, our show last week with guest Dave Plum, author of Inconveniently Screwed, ignited quite a controversy. And that's what we'll be talking about today, right after. We remind you that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and, of course, all of our archived broadcasts. Probably at the very moment Robert Vaughn and I were discussing the issue of climate change with author Dave Plum for our show last week, Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was making his announcement that would give our discussion a significance unforeseen at the time. And by the way, if you want to get a copy of Dave Plum's book, be sure to visit inconveniently-screwed.com. Being inconveniently screwed is also the perfect way to describe what will happen to citizens in the four provinces of Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and New Brunswick, that were targeted by Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau via his so-called National Climate Plan. Nothing more than another socialist wealth redistribution scheme glaringly self-evident as such. Trudeau outrageously promised that 8 in 10 Ontario families will get back more than they pay directly. And that, of course, means that 2 out of 10 families in Ontario will have to give their money to the other 8 out of 10. (laughs) That's a climate plan? Starting next year, it will no longer be free to pollute, announced Trudeau in referring to carbon dioxide, offering as blatant a display of facts don't matter as one could possibly conjure. Carbon dioxide has been called the gas of life. And as I said last week, you would think that in the 21st century, all of the superstitions about these natural events would long have been replaced by knowledge and understanding. But instead... Public ignorance about climate and weather continues to increase amazingly in modern times. This intellectual vacuum about climate and weather has permitted a different kind of climate change to take place. Ironically, the real one being sought. And that is the creation of a political climate that is avowedly anti-freedom and anti-capitalism. Trudeau is using the carbonated politics of climate as a means to justify state control of the economy. The very notion of state wealth redistribution as a means of fighting climate change is irrational. And any person 
That means you should feel absolutely confident in being able to say that. Now, we got an overwhelming response to our show last week, particularly on our Facebook page. You should just take a look at it. I couldn't keep up. But I did enjoy this comment and post by Paul M., who wrote, CO2 equals Y2K times 1984 times 666 plus omen worship. <laughs> that balances. Works for me. This modern-day witch-burning and omen worship makes us all look like monkeys in the history books, he concludes. Max K. writes, What is inconveniently screwed is the entire global ecosystem because of science ignoring idiots. The threat is the denialist dunces. Well, that's an interesting comment, Max, but uh, you know, particularly fascinating, and I found this really interesting, is the inherent assumption that there's some kind of ideal global ecosystem. And that begs the question, how would you describe such a system and how is the so-called inconveniently screwed ecosystem specifically different from your described ideal? Then Brian M. writes, and we have a bit of an exchange with Brian, and he writes, I'm truly amazed at the two-cent professors who spew their uneducated vomit. Carbon dioxide traps heat within our atmosphere, resulting in global warming. This is arguably the result of what happened on Mars. Do you need another example? Try Venus. When the experts warned us about the ozone layer, we acted and at least have stopped any further damage. <laughs> Brian, unfortunately, you have just joined the two-cent crowd. The misinformation being spread about Mars and Venus was addressed in full detail when Dave Plum appeared on Just Right back on September 14, 2017. The theme of that show's second quarter was in fact called Venus Mythologies and cites the examples that he just brought up. Then he writes back and says, I said arguably, meaning I've heard reference to that. Believe it or not, that is your choice. I don't speak blindly like some folks. My three cents. Wow. Of course you heard reference to that myth, as did many others. And that's why we addressed it on our past broadcasts. So you can now stop having to be arguable and spread some enlightenment on this issue. But your accusations against unnamed two-cent professors would suggest that you do not have the same tolerance for the viewpoints of others who may simply have arrived at their conclusions with a belief or even with the knowledge that they are correct. Without specifics, you've left everyone in no position to judge. Or to use your own words, you have spoken blindly to this assertion. And of course, he writes back right away again. And Brian re responds, The reference I'm talking about was from a show on Nova. While it did not say unequivocally, that's what happened, they lead you to a conclusion, yours. It's no myth that Venus and Mars are devoid of life. What happened there? Venus is a cauldron of greenhouse gases, and to suggest what happened on Mars is no myth but reality. What would we be facing if we did not act on the ozone layer? Let's quit the endless debate. If we scrap the carbon tax, we must come up with an alternative solution. Let's act. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's pick up our guns and clubs, because that's what acting means whenever they're talking about government acting. But an alternative solution to what? He doesn't say. To fighting climate change? to putting in a carbon tax? And let's just act? Well, the best action we could recommend is to never vote for the left and to keep up the efforts to educate the public with meaningful dialogue and debate about each issue, something that Brian, of course, now admits he's not interested in. 
Those concerned with a search for knowledge never shy away from debate. It is essential to the determination of what is real and what is not. And that Venus and Mars are devoid of life is not being argued by anyone. If you're really interested in finding out what happened there, quote-unquote, you have your question answered by listening to the already recommended broadcast. But when you say, let's quit the endless debate, you're admitting that for you, facts don't matter and that we should act in the darkness of ignorance and without direction. Well, you never guess what he would write back to that. Here's Brian responding to that one. Quote, The last hurricane that hit Florida was the worst they have seen in many years. In climate change, things don't happen overnight. I did hear about the Maldives, but I can assure you that people in New Orleans, Venice, and the Netherlands, and other lowlands are crapping themselves. The poles are melting, and that's a fact. We might not see any immediate effects, but I ask you, where is all the water going? We are having blistering summers like we have never been seeing. We are having catastrophic flooding globally, and what's not getting flooded is burning. Man-made or cyclical, they both spell doom, end quote. <laughs> wow. And that's, that's, that's all I could say to him. Too funny for words. Thanks for the entertainment, Brian. What else could you say? But, of course, he responds even to that. <laughs> Quote, I'm not debating the fact that Mars and Venus are devoid of life, so get a life. I was suggesting that greenhouse gases could be the culprit. Slow down. I said could. Read carefully, please, and don't fly off the handle. End quote. And I responded, I said, look, we know exactly what you were suggesting, but CO2 is the topic. Not all greenhouse gases, of which there are many, the greatest being water vapor. And we already know that the quantity of CO2 on Venus and Mars is not the cause, quote-unquote, of their respective environments. It is merely part of each planet's environment, including that of Earth's. Whatever else one might say, each planet's condition is natural to that planet. And to assume, to assume that each planet began its history looking something like Earth is today, makes for great science fiction, but is in itself yet another myth on which scenarios like this one entertained here are based. You see, they start on the assumption that Venus and Mars were just like Earth one, one magical time ago, never even thinking that maybe they just formed the way they are now because that's the way they formed, and that was it. Unbelievable. And, of course, Brian writes back. <laughs> okay. Let me say that this is not a political issue, but of humanity. My concern is, be it man-made or cyclical, they both spell doom. So just write, what are you going to do? Nothing. You maybe, but not me. Should we not at the least debate this and exclude politics? Yes, we have to educate the public. The facts are irrefutable. Let's act in accordance to the experts' recommendations. When they warned us about the ozone layer, we acted and at least stopped any further damage, end quote. And I responded, I said, of course it's about humanity. And political efforts to fight climate change are killing people. For the record, humanity and politics are inseparable in this debate. But at least we now know that all along, Brian's arguments have never been about the issue at hand. By his own admission, he doesn't care if people have a role in changing climate. And he's an end-of-the-world cultist intent on proving that outcome by yet another demonstration of facts don't matter rationalizing. And you've got to admit, that's pretty funny. 
Now, we last featured an audio bite from John Robson's excellent October 2nd, 2017 YouTube documentary production, The Environment, A True Story, back on Just Right 566 on July 26th of this year. And at that time, he explained everything you need to know about carbon dioxide and exactly why carbon dioxide is not pollution. Now, here... In his introduction to the same production, Robson offers the context that so many claim is missing from this debate. So please, CO2 discussions and discussions about quote-unquote the environment are two different things. So I want to make it clear before I talk about the specifics of global warming that I consider myself as strong an environmentalist as anybody on this planet. I'm convinced that we have a profound practical as well as moral duty to protect the environment the earth, our only home. But in order to fulfill that duty, we have to think intelligently about it. In this documentary, I'm not saying the environment doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that what the climate change alarmists are telling us doesn't fit known facts, readily available facts about the present state and past condition of the earth. We have to be sensible about this issue. If we are to preserve the natural environment without which I am convinced that it is not possible to live well and it may not be possible to live at all. We've done a lot of imagining what it would be like to live on a planet that we had ruined, where nature was just a vanished memory or perhaps something preserved in a few laboratories and behind glass. And one reason why is that back in 1968, we did have a kind of opportunity to see the Earth as though we were visitors. Because on Christmas Eve of 1968, Apollo 8 took that iconic Earthrise picture, the first time we'd ever seen our home planet from the outside. And people didn't just realize that it was beautiful, they realized that this was our only home, that if we messed this one up, there was nowhere else that we could go. And they realized that we were messing it up, in all kinds of ways that were as bizarre as they were horrifying. Infamously, Ohio's Cuyahoga River bursting into flames in 1969, a river so polluted that it caught fire. And London's pea soup fogs, picturesque in fiction, but lethal in fact. And all kinds of questions arose about what we were putting into our food, as well as into our air and our water. And the result was a whole lot of environmental activism, of changes in the law, of changes in our habits and in our hearts to deal with air pollution, poison in the water, toxins in the food supply. The stinging, choking smog that used to hover over cities like Los Angeles is mostly gone from North America and Western Europe, though tragically it remains a major problem in many poorer countries particularly the People's Republic of China. Life has returned to rivers and lakes that it was thought would be dead for decades. In Cleveland, they can even joke now about the once notorious river fires, a sign of just how much good the environmental movement can do when it concentrates on practical matters and thinks sensibly about them. The work's not done, but we have made enormous strides and we're happier and healthier for it. Lately though, we've been told that there is a new menace that dwarfs all the others. Man-made global warming that is going to render the planet inhospitable, if not uninhabitable, to all kinds of species, including our own living anything like the way that we live today.
Now, this global warming alarmism rests on three key propositions. One, we know that the Earth's climate is changing in unprecedented ways. Two, we know that humans are primarily responsible for those changes. And three, we know that if we don't alter our behavior in the near future, the result will certainly be disaster. And every one of those propositions is demonstrably false. In this documentary, we are going to take an evidence-based look at the past history of the Earth's climate over the last thousand years, the last 12,000, the last 5 million, the last 500 million. We are going to see that the Earth's climate has fluctuated constantly, often dramatically, in ways that had nothing to do with human beings. We weren't even here for most of it. We're also going to see that even the warming that almost certainly has happened over the last 150 years is part of a long natural cycle of warming and cooling that nobody claims human beings caused or even had anything to do with until about 50 years ago. And we're going to see that contrary to the alarmist predictions, a warmer Earth, and the Earth has been considerably warmer than it is now through most of its history, has not been an ecological disaster area. We have a profound duty to protect the Earth, our home, a beautiful and lonely planet. But responsible stewardship requires awareness as well as compassion. Global warming alarmism is not good science. That was John Robson from his documentary, The Environment, A True Story, which you can find online on YouTube. Robson's comments demonstrate just how resilient our environment actually is, given the amazingly quick recoveries where environmental catastrophes actually have taken place. Now, you might think that the following exchange is totally unreal. And I spotted this guy on our Facebook page right from the outset with his first posting. Troll. <laughs> Easy to ignore or dismiss, except for one thing. The crap coming out of the minds of trolls is no different from the crap we're hearing every day on our established news media. And just because it's nutty and hateful is no reason to ignore it. And it always begins with attacking the messenger and ignoring or denying the message. And this was from Ramesh R. And he writes in reference to the book Inconveniently Screwed, quote, The book clearly seems to be a hatchet job commissioned by industry. Right-wing extremists like Dave Plum tend to be viciously anti-environment. And there is good reason for that. He's probably a fundamentalist Christian, and his Bible tells him to subdue the environment, to dominate it, to conquer it. Nowhere does it say to conserve it, to preserve it, to nurture it. So people like him have no regard for environment. If he had his way, companies will be free to pollute to their heart's content. Well, it remains to be seen if Canadians buy his message, don't worry about the environment, about clean water, clean air, greenhouse effect, pollute to your heart's content, pollution is good for the earth, good for nature. I hope next election there's a clear choice before the voters. Protecting the environment, clean water, clean air, or polluting to one's heart content, no environmental regulations of any kind. If there's dirty water, dirty air, earth's temperature shoots through the roof as a result of greenhouse effects, too bad. I would like to see such a choice next election, end quote. Wow. <laughs> so I thought, let's have some fun here, and I responded. And here's what I did. I took his own words, because all he was doing was attacking the messenger, and reversed it on him. 
Quote, this comment clearly seems to be a hatchet job commissioned by the IPCC. Left-wing extremists like Ramesh R. tend to be viciously anti-people. And there's good reason for that. He's probably a fundamentalist Marxist, and his Marxist ideology tells him to subdue people, dominate them, to conquer them. Nowhere does it say to conserve life, to preserve life, to nurture life. So people like him have no regard for human beings. If he had his way, communists and other haters of life will be free to lie, steal, and ignore reality to their heart's content. Well, it remains to be seen if Canadians buy his message, don't worry about people, about the facts, about the truth, about carbon dioxide being the gas of life, pollute the minds of children with lies, lying is good for the collectivist governments, good for leftist politicians. I hope next election there's a clear choice before the voters protecting the truth, the facts, lying about carbon dioxide to their heart's content, no context of any kind. If there's a fiction about dirty water, dirty air, and Earth's temperature shooting through the roof as a result of greenhouse effects, too bad. I would like to see such a choice at the next election, end quote. So I completely parodied Ramesh's own attack, and then I added... Thanks for demonstrating once again how facts don't matter to those who have no facts. Here's a fact. Carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. Fact. The Milankovitch cycles of eccentricity, obliquity, and precession are not within any human being's control. Fact. Forced wealth redistribution, robbing Peter to pay Paul, will not affect either pollution nor climate. Fact. Everything you said about the author of the book is false. And you know Ramesh took the bait. In a follow-up Facebook post, he replies, So, carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. <laughs> Which extreme right-wing website did you get this from? Or did you think of it by yourself? If CO2 is not a pollutant, try breathing CO2 instead of oxygen for a minute and see where that gets you. But if you want to see what unchecked accumulation of CO2 can lead to, study the history of planet Venus. <laughs> there we go again. I would much rather government tax industries for polluting, give them incentive to reduce greenhouse gases, than to support your position. No regulation, no rules. Everybody pollute to their heart's content. Anyway, let us hope we have a clear choice next election. And there he goes saying the same thing again. Sounds like a robot. And he concludes, you are clearly supported and funded by the industries which want a blanket license to pollute as much as they can, end quote. So I responded, try breathing CO2 instead of breathing oxygen? Really? Instead of? Try breathing water instead of breathing oxygen. Try breathing nitrogen instead of breathing oxygen. Try breathing hydrogen instead of breathing oxygen. Try breathing anything instead of breathing oxygen. <laughs> Do you really expect anyone to take such an argument seriously? It's laughable. And, you know, this silly suggestion is not unlike that of those who confuse carbon dioxide the gas of life, with carbon monoxide, a poison, when they recommend, you know, that someone breathe the air in a closed garage with a car running in it. I mean, it's as, it's as extreme a display of scientific ignorance as one could muster, yet it is a highly popular notion, as was heard on this broadcast last week, as was heard on a previous broadcast, the one with John Robson, where he interviews a scientist who's talking about people in the U.S. Senate saying stuff like this. Here are two unassailable facts. One, carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. Two, carbon dioxide is not carbon monoxide. Ramesh's obvious obsession with this issue is clear. Not once 
has Ramesh addressed the very valid arguments raised in response to his unsubstantiated and arbitrary assertions. Hasn't even taken the time to refute or clarify his Marxist leanings. And as with the left, everything is about the messenger, never about the truth or falsehood of a given assertion. Now, while we appreciate the idea that there is, quote, clear support of just right by industries, we wish it were so. We would love it if industry supported us in the manner that Ramush has suggested here. Why shouldn't we? But in his shallow attempt to smear us as being lobbyists for industry interests, for which there's no possible evidence, trust me, Ramesh is in fact calling representatives of all industries liars. And worse, he's declaring politicians and governments to be the official truth. And in both instances, his concern is with the messenger, never with the facts or the science. And this is understandable since the juvenile and nonsensical suggestions about breathing CO2 instead of oxygen demonstrates that the science is incomprehensible to this person. Or perhaps it demonstrates something worse, that for Ramesh, facts don't matter. Truth is determined objectively, not by the nature or identity of the messengers, and anyone is capable of discovering what's real and what's not, if, if that's their intention especially when exposed to all sides in a given controversy. Attacking the messenger is merely an act of hate, a rejection of wanting to know what is real, a clear sign that the person so doing sits firmly on the left side of the political polarity. But unfortunately, Andrew Scheer has shown no evidence of being opposed to fighting climate change, even though he has opposed Trudeau's carbon tax on the grounds that it's not sufficient to accomplish that goal. And this is one of the reasons why we at Just Right always reiterate that we are not right-wing, we're just right, since many right-wingers, quote-unquote, preach and legislate as much from the left as, as do those on the left. And then their hypocrisy becomes associated with what is truly right. And this is in itself an entire separate discussion, one in which we have engaged in many times and to that, I would recommend our June 28th broadcast of Just Right that you can get on site. Well, Ramesh certainly res responded with just a whole string of lengthy responses that it could not possibly have time to read to you. It would fill two more shows. But let me just highlight some of the things that he said in numerous posts. You can see them online yourself if you want to check them out on Just Right's Facebook page. He writes back and says that he does not understand what I meant when I picked on him for saying try breathing anything instead of oxygen. He says, what does that mean? When I say that CO2 is a pollutant, you try to refute that by claiming that everything's a pollutant. That wasn't my argument. If what he's saying here is true, then he's admitting that he doesn't understand the point at all. His examples excluded breathing oxygen. Hello? In the absence of oxygen, no matter what other environment you're in, people cannot live. <laughs> Just because something is poison does not make it a pollutant or vice versa. The thing you're sitting in might be totally non-toxic, like nitrogen. 78% of what we breathe is nitrogen. But you can't breathe nitrogen alone. Holy smokes. Then he writes, nobody's confusing CO2 with carbon monoxide. You had no basis to assume that I was confusing CO with CO2. Well, I didn't assume anything in that regard. I never said anything like that. I brought up another example of where we're hearing that from other people and that it was similar to his argument about sitting in a room without any oxygen in it. <laughs> Is that the kind of examples that you're using? No wonder you depend on scientific ignorance. 
He also didn't understand the sarcasm in my parodied response. He, he writes, go back and look at my post. You simply imitated my post with changing a few words. They do say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, and I was flattered, but your post did not give any arguments. It simply parroted mine. <laughs> Hello? Marxist leanings, he writes, says you, to anyone who cares for the, the environment, who wants clean air, if that's a Marxist, if that's the case, I'm proud of my Marxist leanings. Well, there, it comes out. And then again, he accuses us of being supported by industry with substantial contributions. <laughs> and in response to my claiming that he's calling representatives of all industry liars, get this, he says, no, I'm calling you a liar. Think about that. This guy's never met me. This is what you're dealing with. This kind of mentality, it's, 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 it's frightening. I mean, that, that is, that's practically libelous. But here is a most fascinating admission, something I never thought I'd read in my life. Ramesh reacts to my statement, quote, attacking the messengers is merely an act of hate, a rejection of wanting to know what is real. Listen to this response. Attacking the messenger is a sign of wisdom, a sign of discernment, a sign that I can spot fake news when I see it. You don't answer fake news by addressing what it is saying. You address fake news by questioning the credentials of the so-called expert, i.e. you. Unbelievable. You know, anybody who says they can spot fake news without ever identifying what news is fake and what news is real is not capable of rationality. So if Hitler says the sky is blue and Trudeau also says the sky is blue, according to this logic, one is fake and the other is real. See how utterly irrational this person is? Then he picks on us again for our extreme anti-environmental views. No wonder you're a Trump supporter. Who's right-wing enough for you? Hitler? Yeah, okay. Have you been reading my Facebook posts? If so, thanks again. I'm flattered. <laughs> wow. That was just parts of strings and strings of mindless crap thrown on our, on our Facebook page. So I finally responded to that last one. I said, your Facebook posts to which we referred were those made in our own discussion string. They're hard to avoid seeing given the number you posted. We aren't flattered. Your postings, particularly the latter few, have become increasingly irrational and unintelligible. Please accept our apologies for ever having taken you seriously. It was not our intention to encourage you to embarrass yourself on our platform. and That's where I left it with him. Then Rick L. writes immediately, almost before I finish posting, Ramesh lives a sad, lonely life. He accuses others of name-calling, yet he does it worse or better. He will have an argument for whatever you say, so a debate with this thing, question mark, person, is quite useless. I've encountered it before, and it is simply a troll with too much time on its hands, and it takes the time to pick apart whatever you say just to start an argument. Just ignore it. I wrote back to Rick and I said, you're absolutely right, Rick. But it is never our intention to convince people like Ramesh of anything. For us, he offers a perfect illustration, an example of how the left thinks and acts. In our experience, many rational people have not encountered people like Ramesh and do not even believe that people who think that way actually exist. And your own comment illustrates this doubt. Quote, this 
thing, question mark, person, end quote, indicating that even you're having difficulty in accepting this. And it may well be possible that the name Ramesh R. is either a bot, B-O-T, or a bot, B-O-U-G-H-T, meaning that it or he is acting on behalf of another agent. But unfortunately, we know that folks like this actually do exist in real life. And for those still in doubt about this, we can now provide yet another documented example. Now, from a September 3rd, 2015 presentation to Idea City, hosted by Moses Neimer. Coming up next, we will hear from Lord Christopher Monckton, presenting an incredible, very blunt, moral indictment of climate change. Delivered in Toronto at a time when Canada's Prime Minister was Stephen Harper and Barack Obama was still the U.S. President, over the next 11 and a half minutes, you will hear a summary of so many facts and arguments about climate change politics, you will not possibly be able to recall them all. So get ready for a very hot response to all the hot air about climate change and about what the real political struggle behind the carbonated politics of climate change is all about. Our next speaker is uh, Lord Christopher Monckton, Viscount of Brenchley. And I want to thank Lord Monckton for coming here all the way from the Highlands of Scotland. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a delight to be here, and I am notorious for plain speaking, but I do not intend to give offence to anyone, so if you want to cry, please do it quietly. <laughs> the breaching of the Berlin Wall and the melting down of the Iron Curtain marked not the end of totalitarianism, but the end of its confinement. The new menace to liberty is groupthink gone global. The globalization of groupthink is guilefully disguised under the green fig leaf of pietistic environmentalism. From behind that fig leaf emerges today's tumescent totem of totalitarian tyranny, climate change. Henceforth, the new totalitarians will openly thwart democracy by the abuse of the treaty-making power to circumvent the convention that no parliament may bind its successors. A parliament is for a few years. A treaty is forever. The cost of this universal tyranny is already being paid in that most precious of all coinages, human lives. In the bitterly cold British winter of two years ago, blamed of course on global warming, I visited a lady of 85. To my horror, throughout that abnormally long and savage winter, she had been unable to switch on the heating in her home. The price of fuel oil had risen beyond all reason and beyond her means. It had risen chiefly because the British government had irrationally doubled the taxes and charges on energy over the previous five years in the name of demonstrating what it bizarrely described as leadership in the fight against climate change, which has been going on for four and a half billion years. But the British government has come to fight it. In the United Kingdom alone, there are some 24,000 excess deaths of cold every winter. As more and more people installed central heating, these deaths had been declining. Yet in recent years, they have increased again alarmingly as people cannot turn their heating on. In that cruel winter, the excess deaths rose by 7,000 to 31,000. The victims of the climate scam didn't die because the weather was cold. They died because their homes were cold. The British government's climate policy had seen to that. 
And who will speak for the brutalized, the diseased, and the starving in Africa, in South America, and in China? Ours is the first generation in which the global eradication of poverty and consequently of overpopulation and the environmental degradation became realistically achievable. Instead, the trillions that could have ended poverty are diverted from the pockets of the poor to the groaning coffers of the rich with the chimera of climate mitigation as the flimsy cover story. More is at stake even than human life. All the hallmarks of totalitarianism that were first discerned by the earliest opponents of Lenin, of Hitler and of Mao are present in the behaviour and utterances of those who would profit by enslaving the planet in the name of saving it. Already, over and over again, they demand the death sentence for treason against the planet or high crimes against humanity. For those of us who dare, on serious and legitimate scientific and economic grounds, to question any tenet of their new and dismal credo. The near universal official adoption of a pseudo scientific dogma, no less doctrinaire and no less potentially harmful than eugenics or lysenkoism, the fatal attenuation of the quantitative as well as of the moral sense, the replacement of logic and the scientific method in schools worldwide by the crude and shameless subjection of innocent schoolchildren to the half witted environmentalist propaganda of which several of you here have spoken to me today in this state the abject deference of elected parliaments and their unresisting transfer of their powers and of their people's treasure to an alphabet soup of unelected supranational entities, the unsupervised operation of these anti-democratic institutions beyond the recall of any electorate, out with the scrutiny of any auditor and first of the jurisdiction of any court, the de facto immunity of the new global class politique and its protégé, from prosecution even for outright financial corruption or blatant scientific fraud, the replacement of genuine religion by the new shamanistic superstition of furious environmental zealotry, the state's dirigiste neo-monopsony of climate research that purchases the self-interested and instinctually etatiste acquiescence of academia, the glamorous allure of noble cause corruption, the tendency of lobby groups towards profitable extremism, the curious incuriosity of the press, the druidical pietism of innumerable innumerate politicians in search of an issue dimly understood and the coalescence of powerful vested interests everywhere around canting profiteers of doom. All these auguries of impending tyranny have expensively coalesced in the promotion of a pandemic of pusillanimous panic about, of all things, the weather. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the longest sentence you've ever heard. I accuse the Prince of Wales, Ban Ki-moon, Barack Hussein Obama, Al Gore and Rajendra Prachori of preaching self-denial while flagrantly flaunting their failure to practice personally the restraint they so readily and so profitably enjoin upon others. I accuse the European Union, the United Nations and such like self-serving entities of profitably exploiting the plight of the poor while shamefully ignoring it. I accuse Al Gore, the United Nations Framework Convention and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, 
of overstating the likely future warming of the Earth, the costs and consequences of such warming, and the imagined and imaginary benefits of abating it while understating the costs of abatement. I accuse the IPCC of having falsely claimed in its 1990 first assessment report that it had substantial confidence in its then prediction of near-term global warming, which has proven since then to be double the observed warming rate. I accuse the IPCC of having allowed a single scientist in 1995 to replace five correct statements in its second assessment report to the effect that no human influence on global temperature could yet be detected with a single false statement saying the direct opposite. The climate consensus then is a consensus of just one man. I accuse the IPCC of having falsely attempted to abolish or minimize the medieval warm period seen clearly here in an earlier record by it and also in a sea level record uh, in its 2001 assessment report in defiance of overwhelming evidence in the learned journals that that period was real, was near global and was almost everywhere warmer than the present. I accuse the IPCC of having, without scientific justification, permitted the inclusion in its 2007 fourth assessment report of a statement that all Himalayan glaciers would vanish by 2035, and I accuse Dr. Pachori, its climate science chairman, of having for many months dismissed as anti-scientific all attempts to correct this error. I accuse Dr. Pachori and the IPCC of refusing to correct on request an influential error in the fourth assessment report by which they falsely stated that the rate of global warming was itself accelerating and that we were to blame. I accuse the IPCC of having falsely claimed with 95% confidence in its 2013 fifth assessment report that recent global warming was mostly man-made, and I accuse the universities of Queensland and of Reading of falsely claiming that research by their personnel had found 97.1% of 11,944 scientific papers explicitly stating that recent warming was mostly man-made when the researchers themselves in their own data file had marked only 64 papers or 0.5% of the entire sample as endorsing the supposed consensus thus described. I accuse Britain's oldest taxpayer-funded lobby group, the Royal Society, emulated by its profiteering clones worldwide of abandoning the scientific objectivity and joined upon it at the time of its foundation, of suppressing scientific evidence and opinion unhelpful to its bottom line, of claiming as certain the un inherently uncertain in the climate, and of bullying without mercy any scientist who dares to disagree with it. I accuse the editors of Science, Nature and such like once learned journals of having suppressed scientific papers with which they disagreed and I accuse the president of the American Physical Society of willful prejudice in having dismissed the two blameless editors of Physics and Society for having dared to publish a paper by me questioning correctly as events have shown the rate at which the world was predicted to warm. I accuse the vast majority of the global academic and scientific elite of sheep-like silence in the face of the bastardization of science and the repudiation of reason and the scientific method for profit by a greedy but powerful few. I accuse Greenpeace and such-like lobby groups of exploiting the environment as a mere cover for their totalitarian political ambitions and of relentlessly brainwashing their hapless and untutored supporters with scientific misrepresentations. I accuse the world's news media of failing to report almost any scientific evidence or fact, however relevant, casting doubt upon the party line on climate. In particular, that the satellites show no global warming at all 
for 17 years, nine months. There is the actual record from the scientists. There is the trend line calculated on it. It is horizontal. No warming has happened for 17 years, nine months. I bet you haven't been told that before. That sea level may not be rising at all. Green on this graph is the actual measured sea level. Red is what was published. Do you notice the difference between the two? <laughs> that global sea ice extent, here is the official record, has changed little in the past 35 years. That hurricane intensity, frequency and duration are just about at their least in half a century. That floods are not increasing globally. That the fraction of the world's land under drought that you see here is not increasing that wind farms kill rare birds by the million while adding to CO2 emissions and not reducing them, and that the cost of preventing global warming that isn't occurring is 10 to 100 times that of adapting to its consequences, even if it were to occur. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And that was Lord Christopher Monckton from his 2015 presentation at Idea City in Toronto. Now, Lord Moncton appeared on our own show back on Just Right 241, March 15, 2012. During the same 2012 interview with Lord Moncton, we were also joined in studio by Western University's Department of Applied Mathematics professor Christopher Essex. So the lesson to be learned here is that the climate change controversy is not about planetary climate change, but about global political climate change. I mean, who cares about the Navier-Stokes equation? You know, who cares about fluid dynamics? Who cares about the limits on computation? Who cares about chaos? <laughs> These are the issues that never come up, and that's what climate change is about. But, but even if they did come up, and this is the problem, it would just be a distraction from the real issue. I mean, we can, if you want to talk climate change, great. But it's not the real issue. The real issue is all about implementing a sales tax that will be used to buy the votes of its victims by promising a rebate greater than what they pay <laughs> and to fund money-wasting energy initiatives. We already know that that's where the money's going to go. Now, consider this. If Trudeau had simply announced a sales tax on each liter of gasoline and whatever else he wanted to put a tax on and left it at that, I don't think there'd be very much to debate about this tax grab. His government is broke. Its deficits are on the rise. I mean, end of story. He needs money. But no. We have to be told another story. A fairy tale about the end of the world because of carbon dioxide, and if we don't do anything, oh my God, the sky is going to fall. This is literally irrational in the extreme. And why are they doing it? Why are they bringing up this fairy tale story to distract us from the real story? The climate being changed is our political climate. Now, from political theory, we move to political practice. Coming up next, on this side of the bumper, we'll hear Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announce his national climate plan on October 23rd, followed by Conservative Party opposition leader Andrew Scheer's response to Trudeau's plan. On the return side of our bumper, CJBK AM 1290 radio talk show host Tom McConnell in conversation with Laura Babcock about Trudeau's climate plan, followed by Global News' David Aitken, and those were both broadcast the next day on October 24th. Starting next year, it will no longer be free to pollute 
anywhere in Canada. We are going to place a price on the pollution that causes climate change from coast to coast to coast. And we're also going to help Canadians adjust to this new reality. I spoke in the House of Commons about the urgent need to put a price on pollution. And since then, many provinces and territories have risen to the challenge either by building up their own plans or choosing ours. Others have chosen not to. And so we will act. We will implement the National Climate Plan in the provinces of Ontario, Saskatchewan, Manitoba and New Brunswick. And in those four provinces, we will send a climate action incentive directly to Canadians to help them adjust to an economy in which pollution is no longer free. Here in Ontario, a family of four will get $307 with their tax return this spring. That amount will more than double to $718 by 2022. Eight in ten Ontario families will get back more than they pay directly. And there will be a 10% top-up for people living in small, rural and remote communities. Through this plan, we will also increase our support for small and medium-sized businesses, municipalities, universities, schools, hospitals, non-profit organizations and Indigenous communities. These investments will be good for the environment, create jobs and strengthen local economies. And let me be very clear, the Government of Canada will return all of the money collected through pricing pollution back to Canadians. Every nickel will be invested in Canadians in the province or territory where it was raised. Today, Justin Trudeau unveiled his election gimmick to try to trick Canadians into paying higher taxes on the basic necessities. Canadians have known all along that Justin Trudeau's carbon tax was just a tax plan dressed up as an emissions plan. But now we know it's really also just an election gimmick. For months, Justin Trudeau has withheld documents that show the true cost of this carbon tax. And now, Canadians are supposed to take his word that a measly $12.50 a month will cover the true cost of his carbon tax. The fact is, Trudeau's carbon tax will make everything more expensive for the people who can afford it the least. People who commute long distances to work in heavy traffic and who drive their kids all over town for sports and other activities. Or people who simply can't afford to purchase a new furnace to heat their homes or a new electric car or to buy less gasoline. The fact is, under Justin Trudeau's plan, large industrial polluters have been granted a special exemption. They won't pay anything under this plan, while hard-working individual Canadians and families will bear the full brunt of this new tax. Yesterday, Justin Trudeau made an announcement about his carbon 
pollution plan, if I can use their vernacular. All right, it's ahead of the next election. Of course, this will be a big conversation point over the next year. Um, What does he have to do to successfully sell this to Canadians? And then what's the opposition going to try to do to say, ah, this is a bunch of baloney? Well, the opposition's going to say tax, 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 tax. And they're they're relying on uh, language that he used when he said, you know, even if Canada got rid of all of our carbon, it wouldn't make a big difference in the world. Uh, but of course, they're ignoring the word big, right? <laughs> he didn't say no difference at all. And the other point is, okay, so just because you can't solve a problem entirely, does that mean you don't solve part of it? Does that mean you don't clean up the air for your children around you? Because you can't solve the global issue. Uh, and back to my 10-year-old son, I mean, he said to me this morning, well, you know what, I'm turning 10, but in 20 years, the planet will be gone anyway, right? Because the United Nations report. And so I'm explaining to them that, no, it's it's a warning that things are going to start to get real and scary, but it's not going to be all over for us. But the point is, the next generation, 100%, you know, remember, do you remember We Were Afraid of Nuclear War, the the movie The Beach and all that when we were oh, yeah. children? I mean, and then we were afraid of the AIDS epidemic until we realized how, how you know, until we understood what it was. We had fears growing up. We, we even feared uh, the Cold War, right? Um, and so their fear is environmental catastrophe because that's, that's what they are facing. And so we need to do something about it. So the if Trudeau wants to sell this, he has to start doing, I mean, obviously, the check to people is nice. It's a nice touch, uh, and that always helps. But he's got to keep emphasizing the future, our children. And I liked his line about, you know, pollution doesn't stop at the provincial border. And he is a federal mandate a majority, and they ran on an environmental basis. So he's got his mandate. He's going to play that all the way through to next year's election. And as long as he stays talking about the fact that pollution is a federal issue and our, and our youth need this intervention now, um, I think that Canadians will say, hey, I'll do my part big picture here is to try to wean people off fossil fuels, but of course it's all heavily wrapped up in partisan politics too. Our chief political correspondent David Aiken is unpacking that for us tonight. David, it was no coincidence that Justin Trudeau chose to hold today's event in the heart of Ford Nation in Ontario. Why did he do that? Well, you know, this is a fight that both sides have wanted for a while because both sides think they can win. Trudeau, of course, pulled off a majority in 2015 campaigning in favor of a carbon tax, and he thinks he can do it again next year. Ford's team filled with people who were Harper conservatives back then in 2015, but they just won a majority in Ontario campaigning against a carbon tax. So, you know, this is personal. Now, Ford is part of a quartet of conservative leaders that includes Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, Manitoba's Brian Pallister, and, most of all, federal opposition leader Andrew Scheer, whose favorite line is that a carbon tax is a tax on everything. So, David, what about Scheer and the Conservatives? What are they offering as an alternative plan to reduce the use of fossil fuels? Stay tuned, Donna. Uh, That's what Scheer said today when he was asked for his plan. He said he'll tell us what he would do at some future date. And now the ball is in Shear's court for what I would say is the early front runner as the defining issue of the 2019 election campaign. Just great. Another distraction. Climate change fighting instead of fighting tyranny in the absolute state. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the real objective of Trudeau's climate fighting distraction. Just as Lord Moncton observed, we are going to place a price on the pollution that causes climate change from coast to coast. Now he's talking about CO2, which is not a pollutant. And moreover, it's not a price. Prices can only be determined on a free market, free from the coercion of government. It's a fine, for heaven's sakes. It's not a price. 
and all the rest of his, you know, the shell game of we're going to give you more back than we take from you. You have to be an utter fool to fall for that. Then we have Andrew Scheer, the supposed opposition. It's just an election gimmick, he says. An election gimmick. Well, I can tell what's on his mind. And then he says, fact is, large industrial polluters have been granted a special exemption. They won't pay anything under this plan, while hard-working families will bear the full brunt of this new tax. So he wants the producers to pay. He wants them to pay a tax based on carbon dioxide, which is already a BS tax to begin with. He's going to continue the fairy tale. Now, with regard to Laura Babcock, I couldn't believe this. Her 10-year-old son thinks that the world will end by 2030. And instead of saying to him, nonsense, it's not so, she says, oh no, things will just start to get very real and scary. If this is not child abuse, I don't know what is. Scaring the hell out of your kids, telling them there's no future because the world's going to end? Is that even legal? Trudeau's justified because pollution doesn't stop at the border. Give me a break. She's a complete basket case. A regular Ramesh. <laughs> preaching the same crap that that train wreck was spouting. So you understand why I have to pay attention to people like that. They're everywhere. You're hearing them on your radio, not just online and on Facebook posts. These poisonous ideas are killing our civilization. Then we hear global news. And Andrew Scheer's alternative plan to reduce the use of fossil fuels. You know, Scheer wants to do something about it. Here again, another conservative leader who doesn't have the courage to tell the truth on these basic non-economic issues. They want to make everything into a economic issue because they can't understand anything beyond that. They're all libertarians. They're all economists. CO2, well, that's, that's a toughie. Mm, CO, what, what do you mean? Huh? Oh. Wow, no wonder Maxime Bernier who has now launched his new Federal People's Party, left the Conservatives. Yes, Maxine is the man, as Robert Vaughn told me when he sent me these links to a tweet by Bernier. I thought these were awesome from October 26th. Quote, All these trolls telling me I don't understand science, and yet many don't seem to know what photosynthesis is. They confuse carbon dioxide with carbon monoxide from car exhaust and think they teach me something by repeating basic stuff about the greenhouse effect. Hilarious. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Fortunately, more and more people are discovering shows like this. And that's why you are invited to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Did you bring my tickets to Bug Tussle? Yes, Granny, but I hope you're packed. You'll have to leave within 15 minutes. How come? All travel has been cancelled because of the big blizzard. What blizzard? You mean you haven't heard? Oh, of course not. I forgot. You don't have a shortwave radio. You see, news about emergencies is always broadcast on a special wavelength so the population doesn't panic. Now, just a few civic leaders have these. Mayors, councilmen, bank presidents. Miss oh. <laughs> Hathaway, will you turn the furnace control up as high as it can go? We don't want the clampers to freeze in their sleep tonight. Freeze? In Beverly Hills? Quickly, quickly. Attention, all civic leaders. Repeating.
reading the special weather bulletin. A blizzard is moving into Beverly Hills. Three feet of snow is predicted with drifts reaching as high as six to eight feet. We're going to be snowbound. The storm is expected to center around Crestview Drive. That's our stream. If you live in that area, do not leave your homes. Hungry wolves have been seen coming down out of the hills. That's a sure sign of a blizzard. Thank you for the warning, Mr. Civic Leader. Oh, I probably saved your life. Oh. 